Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Well, again, good morning. My name's Ben. Um, for those of you that, that don't know me or do know me, E-Man's giving me a thumbs up, so I got my encouragement. I'm excited. <laughs> um, well, I, I grew up in, in Folsom, California. Um, has anybody ever heard of Folsom? Of course, right? Everybody say the name. Okay, but say the name you think of when you hear Folsom. I, yeah, I think I heard it halfway through. Johnny Cash. What's the song? Folsom Prison Blues. That's what I'm talking about. So I grew up in Folsom, and Folsom is best known for a prison. How awesome is that? Known for Johnny Cash's song, Folsom Prison Blues. Well, um, I, I actually, I love Johnny Cash. Anybody in here like Johnny Cash? Anybody not like Johnny Cash? Oh, Wilson. That's okay. We got, we got seven more years to, to love Johnny Cash. We'll get there by the end of high school. Well, uh, who's watched the movie Walk the Line? Okay, it's a great movie. Um, I'm pretty sure it's, it's almost precise in accuracy. I'm not sure how accurate, but we're not basing this story off the movie, so, so we're all good. So Johnny Cash, um, he, was, he was a younger brother. He had an older brother named Jack. And Jack, um, when, when he was in his late teenage years, um, he was working at a sawmill. And so they grew up in a good Christian family. And um, Jack had a sawmill accident. And about a week later, uh, he passed away from the injuries. And, and Jack, he had uh, actually planned to be a pastor. And so Johnny Cash, he had this saying growing up, which his name growing up was actually J.R. Cash. He changed it once he signed a, a record label. His actual birth certificate name was J.R. Cash. And so growing up, he, he carried this guilt, right? In, in the movie, his dad tells him the wrong son died. So he carried this great pain, right? To Johnny Cash, he has this Christian background to him, but after the, the loss of his brother and then after his, his first divorce, he was continuing to go through more and more pain, right? And as many of you know, he was actually known as the, the outlaw of, of music, right? He was known for trashing hotel rooms. He was arrested seven different times. Um, over an 11-year period, people basically said that you couldn't run into him without him being high on pills. He was, a, he was an alcoholic. His life was just run to the dirt. Now, again, the interesting thing was that Johnny Cash, before he ran into all of this and in his fame, he had Christian roots, right? But then eventually Johnny Cash decided that he was going to start chasing his own desires to heal himself of the pain, right, to, to finally find happiness, right, to finally be the person that he always knew he was supposed to be. It was always about him, right? And what do you think happened? Eventually, that didn't turn out very well for him. He never found joy. He never found happiness. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of fame. One of the greatest musical artists of all time. Well, eventually, he would marry June Carter, his second marriage, right? And she brought him back to his gospel roots. And I don't know if you, if you guys know this. This was new information to me. Johnny Cash ended up becoming good friends with Billy Graham. 
He ended up getting a three-year Bible degree. He ended up becoming an ordained minister. He ended up writing a book called Man in White about the Apostle Paul. This is Johnny Cash we're talking about. The guy that was known as the outlaw. Johnny Cash had this complete flip. He had everything, and he realized that it was never fulfilling himself. It never fulfilled what he, what he always wanted. And eventually, he submitted himself to God. He realized that his own arrogant desires were not getting him anywhere. As Pastor Alex has been going on the Sermon on the Mount, he's been walking us through this theme of flipping what we think is best for us, flipping what, we, what, what our desires are, and realizing that following Christ is really the polar opposite of all the things we think we need. And as we look at Johnny Cash's life, we see that he lives in these polar opposites. And the real joy that he found was in the Lord. Just for a little bonus information, I really enjoy his hymn, hymn album. It's pretty awesome. So if you ever look up Johnny Cash's hymn album, it's, it's pretty good if you like Johnny Cash. Well, anyway, this morning I will not be in the Sermon on the Mount, but we will actually be in the book of James. And we're going to be in, the, in, in James 4. Now, many of you know James, this specific epistle, the book of James, uh, was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, did James believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, throughout Jesus' ministry? He didn't. That's right, Caden. He did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. As a matter of fact, we see an account where his family called Jesus crazy, right? So it wasn't until after the death and resurrection of Jesus where James, the half-brother of Jesus, recognized he is the Christ. Now, what we need to know is that James was a strong Jew before this had taken place, okay? So it wasn't that he wasn't religious, but it took the death and resurrection of Jesus in order for, for James to realize that he is the Messiah. So James would have been very aware of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we look through the book of James, the entirety of the book is riddled with the Sermon on the Mount throughout this book. And so we know that James, as he wrote this book, two Messianic Jews, which are Jewish Christians, which are Jewish people that believe that Jesus died and rose again. In other words, believers, right? Just like this. So as James is writing this book to believers, okay, he is writing it with this perspective 20 to 30 years removed forward from the Sermon on the Mount. So 20 to 30 years after the Sermon on the Mount, James is writing this book, knowing the Old Testament, knowing the Sermon on the Mount, and he's writing to believers. In other words, he's writing to us as we read this, right? Now, none of us have ever in here been in an argument, right? None of us have ever fought with a brother or sister in Christ. None of us have ever struggled with arrogance or pride or selfishness. Okay, I guess that's why I'm standing up here because I'm the only one. But uh, we're going to get into this book and we're going to start with the first four verses of James 4. You ready? All right, let's do it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly 
to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I want to make it known this morning, I am going to be going through this entire chapter, and we could spend years in this chapter, and so we are going to breeze by some thoughts. But I want us to come to a, a simplified idea from this chapter. So as I'm kind of simplifying this, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you believers? Talking to believers, okay? Is it not your passions, your desires? It's your desires. It's your selfish desires. It's your, it's your arrogance. It's your pride. It's, it's you putting yourself first. Is it not you putting yourself first that causes fights between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ? The things that, that you think you want, the things that you think you need, it causes you to murder. And we know that a reflection on, on Matthew 5 from the Sermon on the Mount, murder synonymous with, with what? Murder is synonymous with hatred. So he's not saying that you're going to kill people because you disagree with them. But he's saying, because you put yourself first, as you're in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, anger and hatred builds up. And he goes on, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, because you do not ask for the right things from God, because you put yourself first, you do not receive. It is a promise that we will receive from God what we ask when we are aligned with His heart. But you ask and you go to God with these selfish ambitions. You adulterous people, Specifically saying, when it's saying you adulterous people, you, you idolize other things. You do not put me first. You have come against God. Remember, this is speaking to believers. Feels like we're talking about Pharisees here. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know to line up with the desires of the world, to follow in line with them, to listen, to be just like them is in no way being a friend to God. It is no way in walking in, in accordance with the Lord. Proverbs 30.20, the adulterous woman feels no remorse for her unfaithfulness. James calls these believers adulterous because in addition to being unfaithful to God, they're completely unwilling to acknowledge their wrongdoing. So today, as we're looking at this chapter, for some of you, the title above may say warning against worldliness. It's really a warning against worldly arrogance. One of the biggest things that can get in, our, in the way of our relationship with the Lord and serving Him is by putting ourselves first. Is by being filled with pride. This is my first main point. The pride and arrogance of our flesh hinders our service to God, creating division among followers of Christ. The pride and arrogance of our flesh hinders our service to God and it creates division amidst or among followers of Christ. The funny thing about pride and arrogance is we so often do not see it in ourselves. 
We can come to God and, and, and we, can, we can come to him and, and recognize our sin and we can recognize the places we fall short. But is it not so true that as Christians we begin to just, does anybody ever just go to God just for the same sin over and over again? And I, this isn't in my notes, but maybe I could just be really candid with you. I, I know that there are so many things in my life and in my heart that are so dark. There's so many things that are so wrong with my motives and who I am. But it is my arrogance and my pride that I do not see them. I'm going to say something that I mean. And so I'm not going to apologize for it. But I want everyone to hear this. Christians who are seeking the Lord and walking in the Spirit of God cannot live in dissension with one another. It's a big statement. If two Christians are both following the Lord and submitting to Him, they're putting pride and arrogance aside. They cannot live in strife. Within the body of Christ, within the church, when two Christians are living humbly before God, I'm not saying they can't disagree, but when two Christians are humbly living before God, it is impossible for them to live in dissension against one another. Now, if you're anything like me, when you heard that statement, you may have thought of an argument you've had with a brother or sister in Christ. I mean, I've had a few. I can't, uh, in the past couple of years since COVID started, I am, I am ashamed of some of the conversations I've had. Some of the what I would call like self-righteous anger tantrums that I've had with people. And the reason why that happens is because I sit here and I read my Bible every day and I'm in prayer and I'm in communion with God, right? But then I point the finger. But then I, I think they're not doing what I'm doing. They're not seeking the Lord the way I am. They don't know my relationship with God. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they have not fully submitted to God because I know I have all the right answers. Right? I could, I could just, it would be terrible, but I could list off several conversations that I've had where I thought that I was standing up in righteous anger, but really I was just being a prideful meanie head. <laughs> so I'm going to say it again before we move on. The pride and arrogance of our flesh, it hinders our service to God. This is what we need to understand. It is our relationship with God that ends up spilling out fruit into our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a poor relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, evaluate your relationship with the Lord. If you are being prideful with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are being arrogant, if you are always right, that might be a sign if you are always right in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, it might be a sign that you need to evaluate what does your relationship look like with the Lord. I'll be the bad guy. You're not always right. Neither am I. Let's move on. Verse 5. We doing all right? Whenever, whenever the youth are getting sleepy, there's always something I do. What do I do? 
Air kick. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. Is that a sin? Is God jealous over us? Is that a sin? No, God deserves our focus. He deserves our praise. He is jealous because He deserves what He is not having from us. He deserves our spirit, our attention. He yearns for it. Verse 6, But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud. God comes against the proud. He comes against the arrogant. But He gives grace to the humble. Submit. Or we could also use the word obey yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. And let your laughter, we could use the word mocking, let your mocking be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So we've addressed the problem. It's our pride. It's our arrogance. It's our pride before God. Our pompousness before God. We come before Him and we think we have all the answers and we're going to figure it out completely until we can't and then we'll go to Him. It's our arrogance that keeps us stuck. It's our arrogance that causes dissension between our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is our pride that is the root of our sin. When we think we know what's best for us. When we think that our short time pleasures is, is the greatest thing for us. It is our pride that is the root of our sin. But now we look at the solution. Proverbs 3.34 Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. It says that the Lord receives us in grace when we come before Him in humility. We love to quote this verse in James 4. We love to quote James 4, 7. And we love to, to quote it and say, yes, if I resist the devil, I'm going to be good, right? We love to put it in our own hands. If I just resist the devil, like I'm going to be strong enough and he's going to have nothing with me. But what is the precursor to that text? We must obey God. We must submit to Him. We must realize that He is in charge. We must realize that we find our power, we find our joy, we find our peace, we find our protection when we obey God. When we submit to Him, when we put our arrogance and our pride aside and we say the King of Kings is on the throne. And we see the promise. When we do this, when we submit to God and we resist the devil, he will absolutely protect us because Satan always will withdraw when we submit to God. Imagine if we, I know I feel like I use a basketball analogy every time I, I speak up here, but imagine you were in a, a, a two-on-two tournament, right? And it was, uh, okay, you and Todd Nagrin, okay, versus two four-year-olds, Okay? And uh, the winner gets a million dollars. But you have to put up a hundred dollars. Okay? Who's going to do that bet? Yeah, me and Wilson all day, right? 
Like me, me and Todd, Wilson and Todd, we're taking on those two four-year-olds, right? But what happens when those two four-year-olds become 30-year-old Kobe Bryant? You're going to take them on? No, I'm not even going to ask my 100 bucks. It's, it's done. Like me and Todd, you know, we might have some athleticism, but I'm probably going to trip halfway, halfway through the game. Kobe's going to dunk on me. It's not going to be cool, right? When we submit to God and he is on our side, the devil can have nothing with us. He can have nothing with us. But the key to that is being obedient to him. To saying he is the king. And then again in verse 8, we see this promise. Who loves to see a promise in the word of God? Does God ever break a promise? He doesn't. Does God ever break a promise? No, so hear this this morning because it's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let these things shift as we're talking about the big overall topic as things are being flipped on its side, being flipped completely over. You were once in mockery. You were, you were once lollygagging. Let your mocking be turned to mourning. As I've talked about before, the key is being broken before God. It's being obedient to Him. If we want to see the fruit of our, our life become healthy, we first need to submit to God. God is not your sidekick. To my second main point, <laughs> killing our pride and spiritual arrogance requires submitting ourselves to God. Humility begins with submission to God and its fruit, humility, will impact the surrounding areas of life. When we submit God, submit to God, when we submit our pride, when we, when we kill our pride and our spiritual arrogance by recognizing that he's on top, this spills out into fruit, into how we treat those around us. Now again, I'm, I'm being very transparent this morning. And believe it or not, guys, I still fall into sin, right? And this week, my mom and I, I love my parents. I have a great relationship with my parents and my brothers. But that doesn't mean that we always have, you know, the kindest conversations. And so me and my mom at the beginning of this week, we were having a, a very serious conversation and it started off very loving. And I can look back on that conversation and, and say genuinely, there's nothing that I said to my mom on Monday morning that I don't believe. <laughs> there's, there's nothing that I said to my mom on Monday morning that I, at this moment, do not think is true. And I, I think I can speak for her when I say there's nothing that she said to me that she does not believe in this moment. There's nothing that she said that, that is not true for her in this moment. Do you want to guess how our discussion turned out? Turned out bad. We didn't end on good terms. The phone was hung up. It was ugly. I'm 24 years old and me and my mom still bicker every once in a while, right? I'm sure I'll be bickering for the rest of my life. Lord, Lord help me in that. Give me humility. But do you want to know what happened? I'm sitting there, right? It's an hour later. 
and God is just wrecking my heart. It wasn't that what I said wasn't true, but it's the way I said it. It was, the, it was even the words, like, why did I have to share that much? And you want to know what's interesting? The same was true for my mom on the other end. And so as I was sitting there in prayer, I picked up my phone to reach out to my mom just to apologize and just say, I love you so much. I'm so sorry, mom. It's okay that we disagree. But moms are pretty awesome, aren't they? And so do you know what happened as I picked up my phone? It rang. My, My mom sent me a very long text. And she sent me a text that was in line with the thoughts that God was putting in my heart. You see, and I'm not the perfect example at all, but as my mom and I were both seeking the Lord, although we were not living in humility when we were in that conversation, she was able to reach out to me and say how much she loved me and to say that God was moving in her heart as God was moving in my heart. And because we were aligned in the Spirit, the Lord brought unity and peace. Now I wish that we were walking in the Spirit an hour before that because I know we would have carried that conversation out with a lot more humility. But the key to the healing was that when my mom came to me to apologize, my response was not, yeah, I knew I was right. I knew you were going to get over it eventually. My response was not, yeah, you really had a line. I knew you were going to apologize to me. No, it was two-sided. My mom came to me, and she was so apologetic, and I came back to her, and I couldn't believe she was apologizing to me because we were in unity in spirit. And so again, going back to the beginning, there will not be dissension when, when believers are walking in Christ together. And when there has been dissension, and it feels like there's hopelessness ahead, and, and that relationship will not be able to be bonded again, we can know that when we walk with Christ, that there can absolutely be healing. Having a humble heart before God sometimes means admitting when you're wrong and humbling yourself when you're right. And so I know that more of us think we're right most of the time than when we're wrong. And so humility does not just mean being humble when we're wrong but even when we think we're right. Realizing that Satan wants division. He wants us to win the argument against our spouse, against our parent, against our friend. And I know I'm not a parent yet, so maybe I'm sitting on my high horse, but Satan wants you to win the argument against your child. But walking in the Spirit and walking with the Lord means that sometimes the most effective way of reaching somebody is not by, I'm not saying choose their side, but walking in humility. And what does that look like? That means opening up your ear. That means not being the louder voice. That means actually sitting there and as somebody is is debating with you, you're not thinking about your response but you're thinking about the words that they're saying. 
Killing our pride and our spiritual arrogance requires submitting ourselves to God. As we submit ourselves to the Lord, because again, that is always the first step. We recognize that we are arrogant and prideful even in the areas that maybe we don't know. Okay, And then we recognize the only way that we can tackle the arrogance and pride that's hidden so deep in your heart that you can't even find it is by submitting to God. And then we see that as we submit to God and we recognize that only he knows the darkest places of our heart, he begins to reveal those things to us. And as we go out and as we're with other people, we're not self-righteous, we're not lifting ourselves up, but we're thinking, hey, maybe I don't have it all figured out. And so being humble before God, being broken before God, allowing our laughing to turn into mourning, our mocking turning into mourning, the effect of that is that I am going to walk in greater humility with my wife. I am going to walk in greater humility with my mom and my dad and my son and my daughter and my grandfather and my grandma and the random stranger in the world. I am going to walk with more humility with them because I've submitted myself to the Lord. And I want to throw a quote up here by a guy named William Law. (laughs) You can have no greater sign of confirmed pride than when you think you are humble enough. Man, I wish I would have asked the question first, does anybody feel humble today? (laughs) Because I feel pretty humble. Maybe I should read it again. You can have no, you, okay, it is talking about me, okay. You, okay, Ben can have no greater sign of confirmed pride than when he thinks he is humble enough. Wow, that really hit me deep. I think I'm a little bit humbler now. You can have no greater, oh, yep, I'm definitely humbler now. (laughs) I think I made it. No, no. Listen to this wisdom of one of our church forefathers. So, I just really quick want to read Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who need, know their need for God. This is our calling. You guys ready? We're going to go into close it out. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. If there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Before I go on, I served jury jury duty this week for a couple days. I'm just imagining as... As I was reading this, I was just imagining walking into that courtroom and asking the judge to take a water break because I got it from here. Judge, I get that you are the judge, but just give me the courtroom for 15 minutes. (laughs) Right? Just go on a water break. Because we recognize that God is judge, right? We all recognize that. Most of us don't struggle with that. But in anyone's own life and application, if we're honest with ourselves, Do we ever ask God to take a 15-minute water break while we become the judge of our neighbor and then eventually hand it back to him when we're a good place in our heart? No, the judge doesn't step down. I can't even speak without being spoken to. 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow 
We will go into such and such a town and spend a, there, tr- spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and then va- vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for to him it is sin. Now again, read this chapter throughout the week. I know that we're skipping some really good stuff. To live humbly before the Father is not to fuel unholy confrontation. But we must be sensitive to the Spirit. My last main point, our freedom in the Lord is found in the power of humility. The power of humility. That's a a weird set of words, isn't it? There's power in being humble? Does anybody ever think of humility as just being super weak? Well, in a way it is. It's being weak before the Lord. But what happens when we're weak before the Lord and we submit to Him? We are filled with a mighty power. And this is actually where our freedom lies. You we, we get into these discussions with people or discussions with God and we, we walk through our life and, and we try to make all the decisions we can to make our life the best. Like Johnny Cash, right? And we think that if, if we control it, that, that we are going to handle it best. Right? But in fact, that's not the reality as we submit to the Lord. I want to ask everyone in here. I want to ask the Christian, but I want to ask the person that doesn't know Christ. Are you not tired? <laughs> I'm, I'm really tired. I know Johnny Cash got really tired of making all the decisions for himself. Aren't you tired of chasing the desires that have not fulfilled you ever? Aren't you tired of having the thought in your back of your mind, man, I should really be in prayer, but I need to get this done. I need sleep more. I need this extra 15 minutes more than coming before the Lord. Aren't you tired of winning every argument? Aren't you tired of ignoring God's call on your life? Aren't you tired of not submitting to Him? Is anybody tired in here? Seriously, is anybody tired? I'm exhausted of trying to do things on my own. I'm exhausted of of telling God, God, I'm going to figure it out until I can't, then I'm going to go to you. When does it end? Right? I am begging you, Christian, I'm begging myself 
Are you tired enough yet where you're going to submit to God everything? Are you tired enough where your marriage is not getting any healthier so you're going to finally give it to God? Where you're finally going to be willing to lose an argument? Are you tired enough where you don't have to be right with your children anymore? You just want to love them. It doesn't mean walking away from truth. It doesn't mean changing what you believe. But are you tired enough to say, God, I submit to you and I'm going to walk in truth and love. You're not going to be my second choice anymore. I'm not going to submit to you because I broke my own knees and I have to fall on my knees. I'm going to make the decision to fall before you. You can have no greater sign of confirmed pride than when you think you are humble enough. We see this course, this theme, through all great Christians, all great people that have followed Christ. We see that eventually they got tired enough. And then we see other people that even in their exhaustion, they never submitted. This is a choice. The writer of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, his name was James the Just. That was his primary nickname. And he was known by this name because he was so strict to the Jewish law. He withheld Nazarite vows. He, he did it all. He was submitted to God. But eventually, he realized that he needed to submit to Christ and that there were things that he was not fully receiving. Can you imagine, <laughs> can you imagine the amount of humility that it would take to live most of your life because Jesus was crucified and resurrected at 33? Can you imagine living most of your life as James saying, Jesus, you're crazy, you are not the son of Yahweh. You are not Yahweh. You are crazy. Can you imagine the shift that had to take place for him to say, you were the Messiah all along? Now James, when he got tired enough that he realized that he was really going to submit to Yahweh, not just in part, but fully, his nickname would eventually change. So although he is mainly known as James the Just, he was also known for being in the temple all day long, constantly praying for his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, does anybody know anything about camels? Because I didn't know much about camels before this past week. Well, camels, when they sit down, they like sit on their knees. Okay? And so they have these incredible calluses because they're always on their knees. James the, James the Just was eventually re-nicknamed, I don't want to mess it up, Old Camel Knees. That's what I'm talking about, right, Ricky? Awesome. James was nicknamed Old Camel Knees. And the reason why was because he was now known not just for following the law, but for submitting himself before God and being in prayer for his brothers and sisters all day, every day. Is that not powerful? 
This is a question that I want to ask you as we're sloping down. Will you be known for who you claim to be? Will you be known for who you attempted to convince everybody that you are? The best real estate agent, the best mom, the best wife, the best husband, the best golfer? Will you be known for the things that you all your life have attempted to convince others that you are? Or like James, will you be known for who you claim to serve? James was known for his service to Christ, for getting on his knees and knowing that the best thing that he could do with his life was not hitting a perfect score in golf. The best thing that he could do with all of his time was give it to God. Now before we go into communion, James 4.14 says that life is a vapor. It's a dust, it's a mist. It's today, it's here today, it's, it's, it's gone tomorrow. I want to tell you what's true, whether you've believed it, received it, or not. Jesus Christ is King of Kings. He is the Son of God. He died 2,000 years ago. And three days later, He rose again. Because he is king. I'm going <laughs> to ask you to do something that may be uncomfortable for some of you. Part of being humble before God, submitting ourselves to him, is being unashamed that we're second and that he's first. And so today, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, that He died 2,000 years ago and rose again, and that it's true that He has washed you fully. 1 Corinthians says today is the day of salvation. Are you tired enough? Are you ready to submit to Him? This is different than the culture we've had in the past, but if that's you today, I want you to stand up. I know everybody's eyes are open. I want you to stand up. Amen. And for those that have not, that, that have given their life to Christ, but they are ready to submit again, they're ready to say, Lord, I'm ready to give it to you. Would you stand up? I'm not pressing anyone. That is not my heart. I don't want this to be about you standing up so the person to the left or behind you sees you. I don't want this to be about me seeing your face. But this is us submitting to Him. And close our eyes. Father, I, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that have submitted to you this morning. Lord, would you help this to not just be another moment, another decision, but that we would serve you completely and fully. 
Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.